We'll lift his name up. Just say the name of Jesus. It's the name that every knee bow, every tongue confesses. It's the name of Jesus. We lift up the name of Jesus. We lift up you, Yahweh, Jesus, Yeshua. We lift you up, God. We lift you up, Jesus. We lift up the name of Jesus over our marriages, over this city, over this nation, over this service. We lift up the name of Jesus over our finances, over every issue in our life. The name of Jesus reigns supreme. It reigns supreme. We lift up the name of Jesus over the nations, over the demonic principalities, over the powers of the air, that you are God and you are king and you reign supreme. Your name is above all names. Your name, your name, your name, your name. We call upon your name. All the power of the name of Jesus to break the chains and sin and bondage and slavery. We lift up your name. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. We lift up your name, God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord. Your powerful name, the name by which we are saved. No other name, no other name but the name of Jesus. No king but King Jesus. No Jesus, no other Jesus but Jesus of Nazareth. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in your people. We lift you up, God. We thank you, Father. are blessed thank you father thank you Jesus thank you guys so much for what you do up here but thank you for letting the Lord use you thank you for letting the Lord use you out here being obedient to the Lord let's just hold this posture in the word as we're coming forth the, the spirit of the Lord right the spirit of God comes and hovers with the word of God so when the Lord when the anointing comes it, it postures itself for the word to be laid to be moved and so we want to just not, we want to capitalize upon what God's doing here. And so we want to take the rest of this time and just begin to offer ourselves to the word of the Lord and let it build something in our spirits, something that's going to be uh, here uh, even after the conference is over. Amen. Something that stands uh, and reigns supreme in our life. How many of you guys have been blessed so far this weekend? How many of you guys were here last night? Wow, it was so incredible. I, I, hate, to, I hate to make you guys who weren't feel, here feel bad, but you missed a huge crazy powerful service but um we're glad you're here today we're glad you're here today and uh, we welcome you here and if you need anything just let us know if you want to give to dr gladstone's ministry this morning uh, at any time whether you're leaving or you want to do it now you can make your check out to heaven rules ministries that's heaven rules um, if you have cash that you want to give um, there's some envelopes back there in the back just make sure you write his name on the envelope when you put it in the box so we make sure it gets to him you guys have been blessed so far Wow, I, I'm just in awe at the Lord and uh, in the, the Lord and you guys, man, just watching you guys move in the in the power of the Lord and, and ministering to one another it blesses my heart so much. So uh, without further ado, come come finish this up, bro. Good morning, everyone. 
great to see you this morning. The brother was right. Everybody looks beautiful today. You're wearing your Sunday clothes. I put on my pretty Sunday clothes. I am very grateful to you for allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your midst. Uh, I really honor that, and I'm very blessed and refreshed being in your presence and in the presence of the Lord at the same time. So I want to thank you for ministering to me that way, just by ministering to the Lord. Uh, we really edify one another when we make room for the presence of God in unity and agreement. And I really needed this morning. And I'm saying that before the sermon. I really needed this morning. <laughs> so also thank you for receiving me so warmly and so powerfully. I, I've obviously been here before and I'm always received with warmth and welcome and with real friendship. And uh, this time is certainly no exception. So thank you for that. Thank you to the Wilts for uh, inviting me and receiving me and taking such good care of me. I'm a little bit high maintenance and uh, they really accommodate me. Just a few little health challenges um, breaking through that, though. Thank you for being such an awesome church. Amen. I, you know, I come in periodically, and I could see the difference every time. You know, as great as it is every time, the, just the, 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 the glory of God's face shining like the dawn is just rising and rising, just like... It says in Proverbs, the way of the righteous, which is what we're talking about today, more or less. The way of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And that's your testimony. That's happening as a corporate person to you. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, when you see a kid and you are just in awe of how they've grown since the last time you've seen them. I mean, you're not a kid, but it's like that pattern. You know, my own grandson, I, you know, I notice his growth or kids that you haven't seen in a while that were little tiny kids when I, I first met them. And maybe their parents were at school and then years later, it's like they're teenagers or something. Wow, I can't believe it. I used to wonder when I was a kid, when grownups used to say that to me, wow, you've grown so much. And I'm thinking, what did you expect? I'm a child. I'm going to get bigger. Why is that so unbelievable to you? I never understood it. Now I'm a grown-up. I'm like, whoa, you've gotten so big. I can't believe it. Because the, to, to see the growth from stage to stage, it's, it's, it just brings kind of a new astonishment at the ways of the Lord that people grow. And I'm seeing that in you in glory and in the, the, the embodiment of Jesus Christ and his image in you. It is on the increase. We don't always feel it ourselves when we're growing, but... When others come around periodically, they might see it, and I do see it in you, and I commend you for that, and I just encourage you to keep up the good work. So you can turn to Luke chapter 9. I was going to say chapter 51, but I don't think there's that many chapters in Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. So that's where we'll begin today once I get to that text. We are... Finishing our trilogy, wondering if I was going to finish the way worship was going there. The last song was like taking us, ushering us into a whole new realm. So I'm like, Lord, are you sure? I don't want to. 
get up there and cause any problems, but I suppose the Lord would have us finish our trilogy, our, our three messages after named after the road I live on at home, Rocky River Road. All Christians should be living on Rocky River Road and should be on a journey on Rocky River Road. Rocky was the first message. The rock that makes the road rocky is Jesus Christ himself, the foundation of every Christian life and the foundation of every church. And Jesus comes to us in his fullness through the full gospel message. He is called the word. And the apostles preached and taught the full gospel, not a partial gospel that was just enough to get people saved, but not form them into disciples and form the church after the image of God in scripture rather than our modern traditions. So we need the full gospel. That's the foundation for the whole journey. That's what we talked about on the first night. And then last night, the river portion of Rocky River Road. The river that flows is the marked and manifest presence of God in our lives. And that river flows on this road of discipleship that we're talking about this morning. But we need that river. We need God's presence. We need the dynamic or we will only be academic in our studying and understanding of the gospel. And then when we tried to practice it, it would just be religious energy in our carnality. It won't last unless the energy, the power, the glory that we have is the actual presence of God himself, the Holy Spirit flowing into us and in us and through us like a river. Yes, Lord. And that river is flowing on the road that we are walking, the Rocky River Road. The road represents the long haul of discipleship. The reality to which we must be very and deeply committed, especially as Pentecostals and Charismatics and Revivalists who rightly value the manifest presence of God and the flow of the Holy Spirit. And those times when we're just slain in the spirit or God is gushing up within us with a healing or a prophecy and, and we want God to visit our city and our region and do things walking in our midst that only he can do. We rightly value this. We should be praying urgently for this constantly. And yet those of us who do rightly value the manifest presence, there's always the temptation to be shallow and flaky that unless God's doing something extraordinary, we don't know how to live and we don't know what to do and we don't know what we've signed up for. We don't know how to face it when sometimes things get a little bit dry and sometimes they get really, 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 really difficult. And it's like, Lord, what is going on? Where's the glory? Oh God, if you would just come in revival. It's like, yes, we're praying for revival, but hold on a second. We have not surrendered our lives to revival. We've surrendered our lives to Jesus. And when he may not be moving in our midst, in our town, in our personal lives, in a way that we would prefer, that's when we distinguish, okay, we have our preferences, but we're not first and foremost committed to our own dream of the way Jesus should be moving in our midst. We are committed to him himself. 
And that is a very necessary distinction because those who really get affected by seasons of manifest presence can get in a, in a, in a wrong way spoiled by that and not know what to do when things are a little bit drier, when the sense of God's presence is sometimes a little more subtle, and real difficulties and shadows lay across the road of discipleship. That's when real men and women of God are formed. And we could be tempted who value the manifest presence of God that life's not always about that. Come on, where was Israel forged into a nation? In Egypt and in the wilderness. That's where they got their law. That's where they got their priesthood. That's where they got their tabernacle. All in the wilderness. During the difficult part of the journey of life. That's where they were formed. And then made into something great to come into the promised land. To cross the Jordan and match and fulfill their destiny. And so it is with us. Come on now, as the old saying goes, inspiration will get us to the mountain, but, but character gets us up the mountain. Right? We want it all. We don't want just rocky. We don't want just river, and we don't want just road. We want rocky river road. We are not simple, one-dimensional people. We are complex. We want the right foundation. We want the glory flow all the time, some level or another, and we are willing to follow Jesus everywhere and anywhere he takes us. The 144,000, those, those chaste 12,000 sized tribes of, of Israel in the end time, the end time messianic revival uh, near the end of the age, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. And so it is this morning, we're going to do the same thing, Lord willing. We're walking on a road. It's a long road. But with Jesus with us, giving us glory, we're up for the task. Come on now, courage in our hearts, stability, endurance. That verse is echoing in my mind from the, from the, uh, near the end of Hebrews 10. Uh, we'll stick with Luke 9, but um, I'm tempted to read it. Make your decision. 1126, all Israel shall be saved. Okay. Um, where was I? What was I preaching on again? Uh, just kidding. I, I remember. <laughs> I remember. Um, well, there's just that one statement. I'm going to read it. You guys can. You guys can stay in Luke. I'm just going to read the passage. It's, it's near the end of Hebrews 10. I could almost quote it, but I'll. I'm afraid I'll start to mess it up. Um, am I right? No, that's 11, down to 10. Verse 32. He's speaking to this congregation. Remember the former days when after being enlightened. Now you understand, that one of the reasons why this is so appropriate, the entire letter to the Hebrews is basically about the same theme I'm speaking about this morning. Well, this, this church came alive, you know, when it was planted full of the Spirit and was strong and then began to fade backwards because of certain troubles they were facing. And so it's this beautiful brilliant gospel speech written out. Hebrews 1 all the way to the end, Hebrews 13. Speaking to a congregation, this basic message I'm about to read you, but it's unfolded by unfolding the majesty of Jesus and the endurance that he needed. And he was, he was inspired by the joy set before him. I mean, that's reality. That's discipleship. That's real life. That's the road that when the river comes, 
It won't destroy the road and then just dissipate into nothingness. I was a part of a revival in the 90s that ended in infamy. It ended because of the people who were stewarding it. And I'm not referring to certain people. I'm referring to some degree or another to all of us, okay? But we weren't stewarding it with the highest version of Christ's character. So when that river posed us challenges against our conceptions of Christianity, against our expectations of where this river should go, we started fighting with one another. And that river flowed on and all the banks were destroyed and there were marvelous effects left. The stamp was left, yes, but it didn't end the way it was meant to end. It ended in difficulty and with pain, great, great pain. And some people lost their faith because of the way it ended. Right? When the river flows in that direction, only character will be able to steward it because that river is the Holy Spirit. He's not just a cool experience. He is God moving like a river. And he is holy. He's consecrated to God the Father and God the Son and the purposes of the Trinity the counsel of the Lord long term. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. So even while refreshing, when he's moving, he's moving in a certain direction. And if we're not willing to go in that direction because we're actual followers of Jesus, that river that refreshed us so much is going to start to wear us out. Or worse. I've seen some of those sudden rushing rivers come in the land of Israel. Were you with us on that tour when that, that, that river washed out the road and our bus had to stop and wait for it? You know, there's things throughout Israel called wadis. They're, they're um, what's the word I'm looking for? Ravines that are all usually dry, but when those sudden, the, the, those sudden deluges of water come down because the, the snow on Mount Hermon is, is melting suddenly or there's a really big rainstorm that is sudden, those wadis get filled with rivers suddenly. And if people are hiking in those places, it's, it's devastatingly violent. People have lost their lives in the land of Israel hiking in those places because the water comes so suddenly and so much, it's actually destructive rather than refreshing. That's where the image of rivers in the desert comes from in the book of Isaiah and elsewhere. He's going to put rivers in the desert. Like suddenly there's going to be a massive amount of water. And it's refreshing and it blesses the land. But... Sometimes it's a little too much for people to handle if they're not to spiritualize it now, if we're not really just surrendered to Jesus and following him in the long haul. The Rocky River Road has its sometimes surprising turns and darker moments where shadows lay across the road. Do you remember that old, the old Petra song, The Road to Zion? Sometimes a shadow, dark and cold, lays like a mist across the road. But be encouraged by the sight where there's a shadow, there's a light. That's, that's a great one. And then there's the next one that says, Sometimes it's good to look back down. We've come so far, we've gained such ground. But joy is not in where we've been. Joy is who is waiting at the end. There is a road inside of you, inside of me there is one too. Like no stumbling pilgrims in the dark, the road to Zion is in your heart. We're on a long road. 
We're walking as pilgrims, and there's going to be bright, shiny times on the road with beautiful wildflowers and meadows all around us. That's absolutely glorious. And there's, then there's going to be times that we can't see one foot in front of us. Have you ever noticed in Psalm 23, he guides us down the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. The next verse, and even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, <laughs> I will fear no evil because you're with me. That's the next verse. He's guiding me down the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. And even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In other words, sometimes following Jesus just brings us into a dark time. I mean, the devil brings darkness and sin brings darkness. Those are other sources of darkness. That's evil darkness. But sometimes when the Lord's leading us, it's dark not because of evil, but because he just wants us to trust him and not see very far in front of us. And even the threat of death may be present, but we're saying we're not afraid of that because the Lord is with us. But it's interesting that following the shepherd down paths of righteousness includes this statement. Even when I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear evil because he's with me here too. Come on, guys. If we don't know the presence of God during those periods, then we don't know the presence of God. That's the time to know it. That's the time to trust him. I want him to look back down in my past and see the path that sometimes dipped into a cave or just into a very dark part of the forest where there wasn't much light for me and there was reason to be afraid and difficulty and pressure and pain. And I want him to look back on my history and see during those seasons altars built on those parts of the road. Not footprints of me running away from the Lord. But altars built. During the depths of the darkness and the difficulty. I want there to be a testimony that during those times. During those portions on the path. I built an altar. And I put myself on it as a living sacrifice. And I adored God the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I called on the name of the Lord. That's what I want my testimony to be. I want the glory. I want the river. You heard me preach last night, and I'm a revivalist. I come out of that tradition. But more than that, I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be on Rocky River Road. And I want altars built. I want altars to, be, to, to pepper to, to, on every spot of where there was a dark turn, and I didn't know what was going on. And to some degree, I'm in a shadowy land right now. I want there to be an altar where I grew and I learned how to trust God during those times, not faded like so many people do that. And yet when I do push through, I don't say, yeah, I had commitment. Yeah, I had courage. Yeah, I, I'm faithful. No, that's where I say, Lord, my soul follows hard after you, but your right hand holds me up. It's only by the grace of God. David Hogan likes to quote that. That line from the psalm, you have made my mountain to stand. That's what my testimony is. One year to the day that I was diagnosed with COVID today. Yesterday was the dark anniversary of when I started feeling it. And today was the dark anniversary of when I started, uh, when I got diagnosed. And people get COVID, but um, I had it hard for two weeks. And to this moment, the effects have not left me. 
That's why I left early last night. Everything's got to be managed. That's why I'm slightly high maintenance. Because I, I got to manage my energy. I have a very, very <laughs> narrow window. And I want to function. I want it to be worth something this morning. And anyway, it's been a very, very difficult year. One of the darkest, not just because of that, but other things, one of the darkest periods of my life. And I was uh, at a certain point several months ago just laying in bed saying, Lord, I mean, how long do I have to deal with this? Then I started to think, you know, I know I, I, I have friends who have died from this. I know other people with long COVID who can't function at all. They get up, do a little breakfast, take their shower. They're done for the day. I know people like that. And I've certainly read articles about it, and, you know, because because I have the long COVID, so they say. And I mean, I'm going after God about it and I'm doing all kinds of natural things and doctors and having people pray for me. And I'm believing this morning, Chew, I feel good. Yesterday, I didn't feel good. Today, I feel good. So I'll take that. But there was this one time I'm just laying in bed and I'm saying, Lord, I mean, thank you that I can still function. Thank you that I have a boss that I work for that's that's helped me through this rather than I had I had to quit. Thank you that um, I have enough energy to function and still, you know, plan a new church and speak. And I got to cancel things, but I'm alive. I'm well. I thank you, Lord. Now, I, Lord, I believe in healing and I believe I should be healed. I don't believe there's some kind of super providence to my being sick. I believe that's from the enemy and from the world. And I want God to heal me. And Lord, I don't know why I'm not healed yet. I'm not I, I don't understand it. I'm asking for specific insight. But I'll tell you this. Uh, you died for me so I can live forever and I'm not going to complain. I'm thankful. And I'm just yours. You know, I want to be healed, but in the end, I'm just yours. That's the deal. I belong to you and by your grace, you've given yourself to belong to me. And that's life right there. So do whatever you want with me. Just do whatever you want. Right? You're the God, I'm the man. You're the Lord, I'm not. Right? I'm sure I've quoted this before when Yahweh in the burning bush says, I am to Moses, I am that I am. My, my friend, a preacher named Howie Morgan says, I am implies you're not. <laughs> that, and I kind of, I had to reduce myself back to that posture and relationship. Just laying in bed, feeling terrible, just short of breath, lack of energy. It's like I have to live my life. My wife is, I'm constantly disappointed. I had to cancel a trip to Hawaii with my wife for our whatever anniversary it was because of this stupid thing. She went alone. <laughs> now, before that sounds weird, we were bringing my daughter to ministry school, and my kids had, had um, gifted my wife with uh, a time away for schooling them for hundreds of years, whatever it was. <laughs> And so we planned to go to Hawaii together, but then I couldn't go. I, I, was, I, I got ill, and on top of the other stuff, I was worthless. So we put those two things together. She went and did her, her retreat that the kids bought her. They bought her this. The trip to Hawaii was a little bit steeper than the... Anyway, so, so, um, so we put those things together, and I stayed home with my, my sick daughter, Faith, and we made each other soup. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. 
this one night with all these things piling up. I'm like, Lord, you know, I know the sickness isn't from you. I, I, I pray for breakthrough. I pray for healing. But, but, but here's the deal. I'm yours and you're mine. Do whatever you want with me. I don't belong to myself. You know, I never expected I would go through something like this in my life. Never expected it. It's just, it's arrhythmic. It doesn't make sense. It's not spiritual. It's weird. It's wrong. It's interruptive. It doesn't, it doesn't do good theology for me. It, it just, it, it, it's, a, it's kind of a gutting thing. And I just, I'm having to deal with all that mentally, emotionally, physically. I know people that suffer a lot more than this, so then I'm aware of that too. It's like, okay, or, you know. <clears throat> and, and I just, look, Lord, like the psalmist said, I have sworn and confirmed that I would keep your, your righteous judgments. I swore when I was baptized. I swore to God, I'm in covenant with you. And now I'm confirming it. I'm yours in covenant. And, um, you know, the next morning I woke up feeling great. I had a breakthrough, and I've been overall better since then, but still up and down. But I felt a lot better after that. It's not the, uh, it's not the home run testimony, but we're almost there. Hebrews 10.32, remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. And that's persecution for their faith. Partly by being made a public spectacle through insults and distress, and partly by becoming companions with those who were so treated. So they endured a lot of resistance, a lot of persecution. No one was martyred in this community, but a lot of, a lot of persecution. Like they lost all their possessions because of their faith. Some of them did. They were mistreated, of course, as Jews belonging to a Jewish community who are now serving what the, the unbelieving Jewish community saw as a false Messiah, cursed. They, they were ostracized from their own families. They were declared dead. These are the sorts of things that happened throughout history. So we can surmise, I think, with, with some confidence that these things happened to these folks as well. When it says there were you know, insults and distress. Verse 34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Accepted joyfully knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession. Such a key component to endurance on this road. And throughout Hebrews, the next chapter, it's all about what's to come. Right? They endured Abraham, Moses, everyone else, all the, the martyrs, the Joseph, uh, the, the prophets that are mentioned, Gideon and Barak and all the rest. It's all because they had something before them in the age to come that was worth suffering for now. They, Abraham sought a city that has foundations. Nothing else, nothing has foundations in this world. Nothing lasts. We're wasting time living, giving our souls to things that don't last. So you knew you had for yourselves a better and lasting possession. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. Now I come to this church already full of confidence that you're on a road that's built on the rock. I testified to that earlier. You guys are right on board. You have all the things I'm speaking about during this trilogy. You have the rocky, you have the river, and you have the road. 
You have it all. However, we all need more of what we already have. And there's some people here, I'm sure, to whom this statement applies directly like an arrow into your heart. Don't throw away your confidence. It has a great reward. You have need of endurance. We don't need endurance when we feel endurance and life is going great. We need endurance when there's resistance and our hearts get faint. That's when we need endurance. And it's very comforting to me to know that in a verse like this, the Bible just says it straight up. It doesn't say something's wrong with you. It doesn't say, man, you just need more glory. No, it says you need endurance. That's what you need. God's word says that. It doesn't just say it's going to be okay, which it sometimes says that. But in this case, it just says you have need of endurance. And then I hear that. I'm like, you know what? That actually comforts me because if that's all you have to tell me, then I'll get me some endurance from the river that's always flowing. Sometimes it's more shallow, but it's always flowing. You ever notice that? In times of revival and glory, that thing just is, is so deep, that river just, you don't even have to do anything. Just You're in the river. It was like that in revival. If you just get in, it just takes you. But sometimes, even if it's like waist deep, and you feel it, and it's refreshing and empowering, you still got to be moving your feet on that road. Sometimes the river pushes us more than other times it does. Sometimes it's there, it's God's presence, it's faithful, it has everything we need, but sometimes it's shallow enough, and it's, it's moving gently enough that if we stood still, it's not going to push us. We have to keep walking, feeling it more gently than we do other times. And it's during those times that we just need endurance. It's like, yeah, there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be things that disappoint us and should only do so temporarily. And it's during those times we need endurance. So some of us need this specifically today. You need endurance. And all of us need it as a reminder. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Listen to this promise. For yet in a very little while, the one who's coming will come and will no longer delay. You hear the mockers quoted in 2 Peter. Where is his coming? Where is his coming? A thousand years are like a day. Days like a thousand years. Feels long to you. It's not long to him. Like, who are we to think we live so long that if it feels like he's delaying, he is delaying? When he comes back, we're going to say, where did the time go? I, I could have done more. I wasted time. It's out of his mercy that he delays. But one day he will no longer delay. It's called the day of the Lord. Every other kind of day over. His day forever from that point forward. And then we will stand before him and be judged for the deeds we performed in the body, whether good or bad. Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 5. For yet in a very little while, the one who's coming will come and will no longer delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
Well, now that's a confidence builder, Brother Bob. Well, we need reality or we won't have endurance. We need to be sober. I believe revival's coming. I believe the river will flow very deeply and broadly in your area of the country, in your midst. I believe that's coming. I believe I will see at least one more great revival in my lifetime. I believe that. I look forward to those times of refreshing. And I want to cultivate a deep life otherwise before those times of revival anyway. But you know what? It, that, that, that's not the end all. Those play a part in God's purpose. The end all is when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on the earth. And then we're rewarded and established in eternity from the way we lived here. It will translate into, that, into there forever. That's what we're getting ready for. Come on. So I believe we should be getting ready for revival, but we really should be getting ready for the return of the Lord. And we do that, I believe, by walking on Rocky River Road. So uh, Luke chapter 9, we'll, we'll finally get there. And I'm going to just give you just a few points, some of which I've already touched on in my freewheeling part here. But I want to give you a few points that uh, inspire our hearts, help us to walk the long road of endurance and following Jesus as disciples. Now, I'm in Luke here, and I'm going to show you a few verses because the idea of a journey is very important to the way Luke composed his gospel. It's a theme to him. And that theme of journey in particular begins in this verse right here, 951. So whenever you see the clock say 951, you could think of this message in this verse. When the days, or these verses, there's a whole passage we're going to read, or a paragraph. When the days were approaching for his ascension, my Bible says he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And so this, what is what version do you guys have? put up there. This is a little closer to the Greek. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. It's an odd construction in the Greek language. Even this softens it a bit. He steadfastly set. The, the, the verbiage in the Greek means he established his face toward the journey to Jerusalem. It's awkward if you translate it word for word, but it's more vivid and graphic because how do you establish your faith? You establish something on the ground. But he was so determined that used this graphic, almost parabolic language. Jesus established his face. He established his face. It's like, I'm looking nowhere else now. Just Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because that's where his ascension is. That's his destiny. That's his goal. But Luke puts the ascension as one event that assumes his death. Because he must die in order to be ascended. And he must rise from the dead. And you can't rise from the dead without dying. So first there will be great suffering. And he'll get resistance along the road all the way. Are you hearing me? Therefore he had to set his face I'm going to Jerusalem and everything along the way. Jerusalem's not going to distract me from my mission along the way. Jerusalem will attract me to my mission along the way because I'll be tempted to plant a revival tent along the way. Nope, got to keep moving to Jerusalem. I'll be tempted to give up 
I'll be tempted to get mad at the people who are fake followers. Nope, I'm going to endure all that by establishing my face toward my goal. And from this verse on, the entire gospel of Luke is cast in the context of a journey toward Jerusalem. And so are we on the Rocky River Road toward the holy city, New Jerusalem, that in a sense right now is coming down from God out of heaven. Not visually, physically, but because it's coming and we're going there, it might as well be on its way down right now. So he establishes his face in this journey toward Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. And they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. How many people know the journey we're on, we, won't, we will make some friends because we're on the journey, and sometimes we won't make friends, we'll make enemies because we're on the journey. Because our faces are steadfastly set toward the goal of God in our lives, and that determines the path we're on. That we will get resistance from people that we were formerly close to. Jesus said, sometimes it'll be your family. Sometimes it'll be your friends. Sometimes people that should be receiving you won't just because you're on your way to Jerusalem. You're following Jesus on Rocky River Road. People don't want to do that. And some of them are religious Christians. Because it takes away their their sense of Christianity while they could still live selfishly. And the real road doesn't allow for that. So we won't make friends. Which is why our faith has to be established on the journey toward Jerusalem. Which is what it says a little bit, a little bit more graphically in the original language. The idea of a journey. It's It's even, what, what is the word here? Well, there it is, set for the journey to Jerusalem. So that translation brings it out a little bit more. But in the Greek, it's a verb. It's it's a going verb. It's a long verb. It means to go toward Jerusalem. Such a sense of journey. Difficult, really hard sometimes, other times glorious. But it's one journey all the way. Sometimes, as we'll see here in a minute, sometimes people join in. Sometimes they don't. And sometimes they think they are when they're not. That's why we need Jesus to be the leader of the journey. What do I mean by that? We'll see that in the next main passage we look at. But um, look at verse 57, just picking up a couple of tidbits along the way. You know, this is literal and it has a figurative echo when Luke tells us as they were going on the road. You see the deeper meaning there? They're on this God journey. And someone says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, really? I'm homeless. And I'm the son of man of Daniel 7. I'm on my way to receive a kingdom. But at the moment, the worth of that kingdom means I don't have the worth of a home to live in. And you're not even going to endure that is the implication toward this would-be disciple. I'll follow you everywhere. He's like, no, I'm homeless. He said to another, follow me. So there's an invitation. Lord, first permit me to go and bury my father. He said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. It almost sounds like he gives them plan B. Okay, you're not going to follow me. I'll give you another assignment, a lesser assignment. It's not lesser to to proclaim the kingdom, but the fact that he's not going to be joining physically with Jesus sounds like plan B. 
So another one, the, here, the one was a would-be, but not really. This one's kind of mixed. I'll follow, uh, uh, you know, okay, I'll follow you, but kind of. I want to do my own domestic stuff first. That's most important. And Jesus is like, well, that's not, that's not really the calling on this road. The calling on this road is full surrender. Lord, have mercy on our souls. I'm getting a bit convicted here. Anybody can preach this stuff. Who's going to live it? Lord, have mercy on me. Another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's extraordinary. Who is this man? Because it's, it's not some abstract commitment. It's about Jesus and his work. That's where the inspiration is. That's where the energy comes from. I mean, he gives us resurrection life. We have grace to fulfill these challenging commands. But the grace comes from a marriage, and the marriage is exclusive, us and Jesus. One more text with a similar feel, um, Luke chapter 14. I'll give you the verse in a second. Verse 25. Verse 25 is a little bit of an introduction to this big saying of Jesus that follows. Right? So if you have a red letter edition, there's a bunch of red in this passage. And then there's just black print in this one verse. And yet this one black print verse is not just a, a passing comment. It's very, very important. The little physical description here. Look at this. Now, large crowds were going along with him. So the journey theme continues. Jesus is on his God path toward Jerusalem. He's got a mission. He's set toward this, and now everything's on a journey. But at this moment, large crowds are following him. Because, have you ever seen the Peanuts cartoon with Pigpen? Wherever he walks, there's this cloud of dirt around him because he doesn't, he doesn't practice hygiene like the other peanuts do. So there's this cloud. Sorry about the negative image, though fairly cute. Jesus, kind of everywhere he goes, has this cloud of healing and deliverance around him. It's just this constant, you know, making bread out of nothing. Everyone's healed. Even they, Luke's one of the ones that emphasizes this. They just touch him and they're healed. He doesn't even touch them. They touch the edge of his robe. There was so much river on him. Even when he wasn't aware of it, like zap, 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 constantly. People that believed didn't believe. People that were against him for him later, they were against him or whatever. Only, you know, only one returns to give thanks, nine keep going, but they still all got healed. So he's, he's attractive. The crowds are following. Come on, Shandai, he's a revival preacher but not many revival preachers who are on this road when the large crowds are following him, but the large crowds don't really, they like, they like the, um, the pig pen cloud of healing and deliverance, but they don't understand where the quote going along is going to. So look at the next half of verse. And he turned. Because they're all following along as he's going and he knows where their hearts are. 
So he turns around and says, guys, I got a wake-up call for you. You guys like my kingdom ministry? Because he wasn't hyping it or faking it. God anointed Jesus. And he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. That's the crowd following him, enjoying that cloud. And he turns and says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yeah, even his own life, you're not capable of being my disciple. It says there, is that the verse we're looking at, the one I can see, he cannot be my disciple. In English, that could be taken a couple of different ways. Again, in the Greek, it's expanded a bit. The word is the, va- the verb form of dunamis, you know, the word that means power. You don't have the dunamis, is what he's saying. You don't have the ability. You're not capable, is the point. Like cannot, the word cannot, we can blow by. It can mean you're not allowed, or you just can't. It doesn't draw a lot of attention, just enough. But in the, in the, in the original text, it's saying, you're not capable of being my disciple. If you, don't, if you don't make the relationship with me exclusive and put no other relationship above it. And he uses a rather offensive term, hate. Not meaning a bitter attitude, but meaning I see the value of Jesus supremely over even God-created relationships. That's how exclusive the relationship is that he demands. That gives us the ability to walk this road. Rocky River Road, even with a river flowing on Rocky River Road, is impossible to travel if we haven't made a final oath to Jesus. He asks not for our commitment. Commitments can be measured. He calls us to absolute surrender. It's the only way we have the capability to make the journey. Let's be in this for the long haul, guys got a couple of other things to say, so I'm going to try to say them. Forgive me, I forget the time that we decided on. When are we done here? When are you usually out by average? Noon? Right now? 12.15, When I talk about time, which again, my wife doesn't like me doing, I'm sincere. I'll stop when I'm told to stop. I'm not just like subconsciously saying, just tell me I can keep preaching. Oh, no, keep going, brother. Like, I'm just looking for that affirmation. No, I'm really asking out of respect. 12.15 is okay? We'll see. I'll try. Um, verse 27. Okay, verse 26, you cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The Rocky River Road is impossible without full surrender to Jesus. Where we just, and sometimes we have to come down to like boiling, boiling point moments when we say, Lord, I just belong to you. Do with me what you wish. I'm here to be with you. Like life gets just reduced to Jesus. I mean, it always should be. But sometimes, you know, in mission and in family, there's a lot of things going on. But sometimes we have these moments, life just gets reduced. It's just you, Jesus. I'm going for a kingdom that isn't fully here yet. So just reduce me, like John 6, when he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. What is this cannibalism we're talking about as a good Jewish rabbi here? 
He's like, I'm going to use offensive language to get you to understand how exclusive your nourishment is simply in me. Forget the manna that came out of heaven. Jesus says, I'm the bread. What? What kind of egomaniac are you, the Jews might be saying? You're the bread? You? I mean, you do some good miracles, but seriously? They don't see that he's Yahweh in the flesh yet. I'm the bread. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, or you don't have life. That's a pretty interesting take on things, Rabbi. We expected to just go to school and just hear some truth. And you, Rabbi, are saying, oh, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and then you're alive. They were offended by that statement. He explains later, the flesh doesn't profit anything. The spirit's the one that gives life. And my words are spirit and life. You should devour my words. Which essentially, he's the word become flesh. So it's like you have to consume his flesh and blood in a sense. And yeah, I mean, he's going to die. He's going to rise. We consume him. We embody the same thing. The nourishment metaphor keeps working, but still it's pretty offensive. And people, and it said they believed in him. And then they said, when they heard that, they said, this is too hard of a saying. Who can even listen to it? And many left. Disciples who believed left at that statement. Sometimes on the journey, Jesus just puts down a roadblock and says, you can't make it past this roadblock unless you're, you're fully surrendered. And then he turns to his closest circle and he says to Peter and the others, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. He doesn't say, Lord, we can endure those words. I think implicitly he was saying, we didn't like that either. It was gross. It was off the beaten path. It's unclean for us Jews. It's cannibalistic. The images it's conjuring up are not pleasant. And we know it was, it was a metaphor, guys. It was a metaphor. I'm the light of the world. You know, he said things like that. I'm the door. There, it's metaphorical, but means something very literal in the spirit. So we get all that now, but still on, on first blush, when it first hits the, 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 the minds of the people listening, eat your flesh and drink your blood. I mean, what, you know, who is this person? But Peter's like, look, we didn't like it either. And we don't think we're going to be able to handle what you got coming. But you're also the spring of God. No one else has what you have. The spring of life comes from you. So we're just reduced even when the journey is not pleasant. You're the one for us because you are life eternal. You have the words of life eternal. Where else can we go? You know, sometimes we don't have the most spiritual answer, but we're just reduced down to our covenant. And we say that, you know, Lord, I don't have anywhere else to go. I'm sticking with you because you are life. I'm not alive when I choose something more convenient. That's a good, good comment. I'm not praising myself. I'm saying that was important, I think. No other pathway is alive. I'm not alive any other place. Your life. Your words are life. So we will endure these difficulties you put on the road because we're addicted to living. So he goes on and gives the parable about having enough to finish building a tower or having enough of a military power to meet the king that's coming. And 
He says, count the cost. Make sure you got enough before you sign up for this journey to Jerusalem. But here's what enough means. Enough in quotes, I put it. And then in verse 33, he says, so then none of you is able to be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. So in heavenly treasure, we gain more when we give up more, so to speak. What it means is we're not weighted down by this world. We've given ourselves exclusively to Jesus. So let me give you a few more points here. Uh, maybe a list, and I'll, I'll organize a few of the things I've already said, but I'll, I'll go through this quickly. I want to start with a quote. This is a quote from a philosopher of the 19th century. I'll explain a little bit more in a minute. Here's what he says. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. Isn't that a powerful statement? And a really, really, really helpful insight for us. I just love the phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. That's the Christian walk. It's ironic. I'll explain why in a moment. He says, there thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. If you Google that phrase, a long obedience in the same direction, you'll find it to be a book written by Eugene Peterson. I have not read it. He entitled his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a great metaphor, isn't it? Long obedience in the same direction. But Eugene Peterson is quoting this philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche, who was an atheist philosopher of the 19th century, who was famous for his declaration that God is dead. And in 1966, Time Magazine, I don't know if I can prong this, Time Magazine asked the question, is God dead? 1966, this was a couple of months before I was born, is God dead? Based on Nietzsche's, you know, some, you know, in the past century, his philosophy that said, finding our moral bearings and meaning of life in the God of Jews and God of Christians. That era is over. We are now enlightened. We can move forward without God. And he declared God dead. And Time Magazine was asking, is God dead? And then this picture of the 1966 magazine is actually from a magazine cover of this year. Sorry, I can't get rid of that top there. Where an author is asking 50 years later, that's this year, is God dead? We get such a powerful statement, it becomes the, the title of a Christian book from a philosopher that was talking about a long obedience in the same direction, and he wasn't even referring to God. He's the author of the God is Dead movement. Luke 16 is true. Sometimes, sometimes the sons of this age are more clever with their own kind than the sons of light. Sometimes they come up with truths that we need, I'm not saying we should be looking there all the time, but sometimes it happens, where they come up with more insight than some of our charismatic traditions. It's not about just going from great conference to great conference and mountaintop to mountaintop. That's not life. Sometimes godless philosophers know more than flaky Christians. Life is worth living when it's a long obedience in the same direction. So five years later... I have to give due, you know, due credit where it is. Five years later, Time Magazine, this is just a little 
you know, commercial for God moving because right at that time in 1966, the hippie movement was in full swing and the Jesus movement was getting in fuller swing. So five years later, 1971, then Jesus made the cover of time. And it's called the, the Jesus Revolution. I have this Time magazine cover made fr from somehow... I took it off the internet and sent it to a place that makes pictures. I don't remember how I did it, but I have it. It's about this size on my office wall reminding me that there is another Jesus revolution coming. And they're making a movie about this right now, by the way. And um, you know what? Recently, a friend sent me this actual 1971 magazine. I think I have it with me. I think I have it in, not with me here, but back in the in the room. You know, the Jesus revolution is coming. So, you know, no, God's not dead, right? But sometimes the godless come up with these little points that we have to keep in mind because we don't have them in the popular culture. Everything is like this addictive high. We have to have, we have to be entertained during worship. We have to have the greatest and hottest speakers. We have to have a sense of God's presence and all this instead of saying, look, we are committed to a long obedience in the same direction. That's real life. And it's emphatic in the scriptures and the gospel. It's not a little side comment. It's emphatic. So in light of this, a few more comments here. How do we endure this journey? We remember that the Rocky River Road is flowing and going in the same direction toward our destiny. Paul talks about having a hope for our calling. That means our future life in the age to come is where we will really enter our destiny. It's not about just having the perfect job here, the perfect ministry here, everything perfect here, everything we need, the American dream. The American dream is not the ultimate destiny. The age to come and our resurrection glory in that kingdom, that is our destiny. And that hope should fill the hearts of all Christians who are right now stranded in time on this earth. Because that hope is the power of endurance. It's exactly what our Hebrews passage said and goes on to say further in Hebrews chapter 11. Hope is real. It's, it's, it, the word hope in English sometimes mean, means a wish. Maybe it will happen. Maybe it won't. I don't know if Bob's going to show up to the party, but I hope he does. I don't think anybody really says that. So I don't know if, if, I don't know if Chad's coming to the party tonight, but I hope he does because he's so awesome. But that means hope used in that sense means maybe he will, maybe he won't. I can only wish. Biblically, hope means it's absolutely certain, and that's what fills my heart with energy. I can follow Jesus through this, because one day he's going to awaken me from the dead and usher me into his kingdom and give me my reward. That hope is the power of endurance on the long obedience in the same direction. The surrender we talked about is a source of divine energy. It's the working of the Spirit in our hearts when we are surrendered to Jesus fully. When we've made an oath with our baptism, we swear to God, I'm yours forever. That gives us the ability, according to Jesus in Luke 14, to endure the long obedience in the same direction. A couple of other points here. Okay, really quickly. We endure through our hope of destiny. 
We endure through surrender. We endure by redeeming the time. Just really quickly, let me give you a couple of words of advice. Beware disappointment. I don't mean little disappointments where, all oh, the team didn't win or, oh, I didn't give that raise. That's a little bit bigger. I mean life disappointments that are like pins in the balloon of our faith. He who believes in me will not be disappointed. Sometimes God's way disappoints us in our immediate reaction or the way life turned out or is seeming to turn out right now. And we get disappointed with the Lord, with people, with life, and we just start to fade from the Rocky River Road. We stop walking with endurance. Disappointment has killed many Christian faith, many Christian faiths in people's hearts. Life didn't turn out that way. But Jesus said, when John from prison sent him the disciples, I tried to quote this the other night, but he says, go back and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the deaf hear, the, the lepers are cleansed, the lame walk, and happy is he who does not stumble over me. Because you are not the leader of your journey, he's saying, I am. And I'm going to take you places and through situations and on certain routes that you would never have planned for yourself ever. But I did. Don't go through a disappointing season where you're now disappointed in my leadership. Endure through that. Manage the disappointment into a re-covenant with the Lord. I'm yours. Take me where you wish. I am yours. Because you, Lord, are seeing things from eternity. You know what I need to prepare for there. I don't. I'm not the author of my own story. You are. Come on now. Good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We would never design our lives the way they should be designed. He does. So the chances are about 12 or 13 out of 10 that we're going to hit bends in the road that we would never have designed. 15 out of 10, we're going to get disappointed on some level. Jesus says, happy are you if you don't stumble over me. Those are the times you, you, you re-clarify and reduce life. I'm following you, Lord. If I'm going to make it on this rocky river road, you're the Lord. I am not, right? I am, you're not. That's the way we endure rocky river road. During that time also, I'll add a little Emmaus challenge, Luke chapter 24. Again, they were on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking with them, and they're talking, remember? And he comes along, and they stop, and they're looking sad. Why are they sad? They're disappointed because their Lord died. And they thought, so we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And he's like standing there with them. Isn't it? He's the coordinator. He's standing there alive, victorious, present with them. And they're disappointed. And they don't even see him. How often we don't even see the Lord because he's, he's walking his journey, not ours. He's leading in the journey his way, not our way. 
And yet there's victory, there's resurrection, they don't even see it. Their eyes were prevented. Isn't that awesome? Or painful? What's going on? Are you the only one near Jerusalem? You don't know what's happened recently? The things that have transpired? He says, what things? <laughs> then they start telling him, well, Jesus, mighty in word, indeed a prophet. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. He says, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. This is all printed in your Bible. But you still manufactured your own vision for king and kingdom and life. Don't do that. You are setting yourself up for a disappointment. The Lord is right with you on that journey that's disappointing. He's physically standing there with you. And we don't see him there if we don't see him in the word. That these things were already printed and this is wisdom. Come on now. Inspiration gets us to the mountain. Character gets us up the mountain. Jesus says this is all written. And listen, what would I do if I were Jesus standing there and they're like, we hoped that he would be the one who redeemed Israel. I would say, it's me, I'm alive. He doesn't say that. Here's what he says. Physically raised from the dead, standing there with them. He says, read your Bibles, guys. He'd rather be seen in the scriptures during difficult times than being seen physically present with them. In fact, he refuses to show himself physically until they see him in the word. That's the way we manage disappointment. We get a hold of the written scriptures and the truth when we're going through those bends and turns where shadows lay over the road. And we will find that we couldn't perceive him otherwise. He's with us on the road. Refusing to be seen physically raised from the dead until they see him in the word. This is always what God said. Come on, Christians. Don't just read your Bible for devotions. Dig in and get that wisdom. Get a dose of reality. He zigs, you're saying zag, he's zigging. He's God, you're not. Praise God. We have the written scriptures during such times. And then he's revealed to them in the breaking of the bread. He immediately disappears. And they start running back to Jerusalem. And here's what they said. Were not our hearts burning within us when, we, when he walked with us on the road, when he was explaining the scriptures to us? That's when their hearts were burning. Not just when we saw him. In fact, it doesn't say when we saw him. It says when he was explaining the scriptures. When he showed us from the Bible, we shouldn't be disappointed. We should just submit to his ways. And there's life and victory on the other side. Praise God. That's the way we endure the Rocky River Road. We redeem the time by managing disappointment from the, from the wisdom of the scriptures. And then through it all, finally, we let it be our intention to allow God to grow us into maturity through the difficult times. Our Christ-likeness is the goal for our lives. It's not a certain pinnacle of success. It's Christ-likeness, and that happens through seasons of hammer and chisel. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Father, you know what? I'm going to pray. Let's stand. Let's stand for our closing prayer. I hear the children asking me to continue to preach, but I am going to have to do what the parents are asking. <laughs> Sorry, kids, I have to stop now. Our Father, we love you with all of our hearts. 
And these truths can be very convicting. So we don't come to you with any false boasts. We're with you all the way, Lord. No, we're praying, Lord, have mercy on us. Give us grace to stay with Peter if we can say nothing else. Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So, Lord, for those who are away from you on any level, we pray that you would fill them with hope and with courage and strength. The endurance that only comes by divine grace through the written scriptures, through a, a vision of the heart of the kingdom come. Bless your people with strength, with endurance, with a commitment to the Rocky River Road that it pans out as a surrender to Jesus. Oh, Lord, give us grace for a long obedience in the same direction that we might be ready for the, for the river that's about to flow, but that we also might be ready for your great return to earth. Praise God. Help us, Lord. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. Help, 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 Lord. In our weakness, uh, be strong. Jesus is King. In his name we pray. Amen. Man, thanks so much. So good. You guys blessed? Man, I have a feeling, for those of you that come to my church, at some point here in the future, you're going to come to me for some counseling. I'm going to be like, hey, you know what? You need to go listen to Sunday morning again, and then we'll talk. Um, you know, I, I haven't been doing this as long as he has, but I've been doing it a long time. And, and one thing I, I know for sure is that most people don't make it just simply because they quit. They just, they quit. I went through the hardest time in my life where I had nothing left. Nothing. And I sat down and knew exactly where I was sitting. And the only thing I heard Jesus say to me is endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I felt nothing. It didn't give me goosebumps. It was just a faint whisper in the back of my mind. And I thought, okay, Lord. And everybody else had quit me. It was just me and him, my wife, and a couple people. Everybody else left. And I've been doing this long enough to know that people quit. They get, they get drunk on their emotions and their circumstances instead of infatuated with the, the plan of God for their life. And uh, that's why we need community. We need, we need accountability with one another to be able to make this journey. That Jesus walked with them. He walked together with them. We don't need spiritual addicts who jump from place to place and conference to conference. We need people who are committed to one another because at some point I'm going to need you as much as you need me. And that's how we make it. Uh, not obviously with the Lord, but we have to walk this journey together. And uh, so thank you so much for this weekend. And guys, if you've been blessed, we encourage you to give to his ministry back there. I'm going to bless you. Father, uh, thank you for everyone here. May the word just just dig deep inside of them and that they would not be of that parable that when the hardships come, that the sun comes out and just causes them to wither. That, Father, that this word would be uh, like deep-rooted seeds pressing itself into the rivers of living water, that we'd be planted by those things, nourished in every season, that, Father, your word and your will and your fruit would come forth in every season of our life, that even Jesus, a root out of dry ground, was able to prosper and, and bear fruit in everything that he did. Even in the wilderness, Lord, he was still 
bearing fruit. And we, we need that. We thank you for that. I pray this blessing over them, that they would take this message into their hearts, their jobs, their minds, their lives, their careers, their kingdom influences that you've given them, God, and make it, make it be a glory to your name. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.